And it says there, it's on page 1224. It says there, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the incomparably great power for us who believe. And so here is Paul asking that we be given spiritual eyesight so that we may know the length and breadth of what God has called us to. So imagine Ebenezer doing this, eh? Because you have decisions to make. And so you gather together on a Wednesday. You perhaps have done this already, but let's just take you as an example. So you gather together and you begin to call out to God saying, oh God, would you give us spiritual insight? Could you open our eyes, enlighten our eyes so that you can allow us to see the length and the breadth of what you want for Ebenezer, not for today, not for tomorrow, 20 years from now. Because that's how we build, right? Nobody builds just for today. Everybody is building for the future. We stand on the shoulders of those that came before us at Ebenezer and built this place so that we can be where we are today. And to ask God to give us that kind of spiritual insight, which then allows us, one, to see exactly what he's calling you to, two, to grasp the immensity of what God has planned for Ebenezer, and three, to know the immeasurable, unlimited power of God to actually do that. What a place to start, eh? Go to Colossians 1.9. He does the same thing there. Colossians 1.9. It's on page 1233. Colossians 1.9. And here he says... For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Paul never wrote in short sentences. But here's the point, guys. Again, here, you see him asking for insight, saying, oh God, would you open our spiritual eyes so that we know we have a knowledge of your will for us. So again, put yourself in its place, in Paul's place. And so here's what Ebenezer's playing, praying. Oh God, would you now give us knowledge of your will for us so that we may walk in it? And would you please give us patience and endurance, which then clashes with our deadline-oriented lifestyle, eh? But, but that's what Paul is asking for. Would you give us, do you think Paul had deadlines? Man, if there was anyone who had deadlines, it was him. Because everywhere he went, there were things that were demanded of him. Eh? He's saying, would you now give us patience and endurance to persist joyfully, to persist joyfully to see this through? Guys, the great thing about God is when he asks us to pray, um, he, 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 he's not grudging in giving us answers. We read that. The first scripture read today was, do you lack wisdom, Jacob? Then ask God. And he gives without grudging. And so when we go to him and take a prayer like this that is straight from the word and begin to speak it out to him, I don't know how he does it and really it doesn't bother me that I don't know how he does it. He does it. And he gives us both the wisdom and the insight to begin to see how things need to be done. And this is when we begin to pray, pray with answers, 
having searched the mind of God, instead of praying for things that, that we've already determined. Such a difference, eh? I hope we are able to overcome that, where we, where we have predetermined a path, and then we christen it with prayer, and then don't exactly know why it hasn't worked out the way it's supposed to work out. As opposed to searching the word and the mind of God, and then saying, oh, shut, so this is what you mean, Father. And then taking that and working it out here on earth and bathing it in prayer. Because now you're walking according to the will of God. Which is what George just read a little while ago. Where Jesus says, I don't, uh, I can do nothing by myself. I only do what I see my father doing. And I only speak what I hear my father saying. And my judgments are right. Because I have no desire to fulfill my own will. But I only do what the will of my father is. And so he got it right always. So that's insightful prayer. Insightful prayer. The next kind of prayer, if you go down that mnemonic, so it's I and the next letter would be N when we take the word intercedes. N would stand for never give up prayers. Never give up prayers. And never give up prayers uh, are prayers basically uh, characterized by faith and persistence. It's, it's shamelessly bold faith-filled, persistent prayers. Shamelessly bold, faith-filled, persistent prayers. That's what never-give-up prayers are. There's a shameless boldness to it. And the reason you can be persistent is not because you just want to repeat things, not because you're craving for an answer. The reason you can be shamelessly bold and persistent is because you know something about God's character or you know without a shadow of a doubt that what God has said has to come to pass because he said it. That's when you can be persistent. Otherwise, it's repetition and craving. And craving doesn't go well with God. He actually says that in Psalm 105. They craved in the desert, and he gave them what they wanted but sent leanness to their soul, which isn't exactly where we want to go. And there's this folk story, Hebrew folk story of this guy called Kony, C-H-O-N-I. And Kony, um, he, he was called Kony the circle drawer. And so his village didn't have rain for um, months together. So Kony decides he's going to go right down to the town square. And he stands in the middle of the town square, draws a circle around himself. And he says, I won't move from where I'm standing. I won't step out of the circle till God sends rain. And so he stands there in that circle. And after a while, it just begins to, um, gentle showers begin to happen. And tiny little drops. And people say, Kony, God's heard your prayer, you can come in now. And Kony says, after months of drought, this ain't the kind of rain that we need. This isn't God. And so he says, I refuse to move out of the circle. Why? Because he knew that if he had asked God for rain, it would be plenty. It wouldn't be little showers that do hardly any good. So he refuses to move from the circle. And the Pharisees and the Levites who watch him begin to complain and say, what a presumptuous little guy who thinks that he can stand out there and demand things from God. And yet Kony knew something about God's character and the Torah that made him absolutely confident that God would supply rain during times of drought, and it would be plenty. And so he refuses to move. After a while, 
the rain begins to just pour down so violently that it begins to rip the ground up. And so guys begin to clap and say, Kony, your prayers have been answered. Come right back and you can now begin to um, rest. And Kony says, no, this rain isn't from God. This is so violent, it lacks God's character. This is so violent, it's ripping up the ground and this will do our crops no good. And so he stays there. And now the educated religious ones get really upset because he stood there when there were showers. Now when rain comes down violently, he still doesn't quit. He doesn't quit, he still stands there. And then suddenly the rains change and they come down plenty but gentle. And Akoni stands there and people say, come back in. And he says, you know, I can, but I'm enjoying this so much, I might as well stand here and get wet. And so he stands there a little longer and then goes in. The point of the story, guys, there's something called shameless boldness, eh? And the Bible has plenty of this. Remember that story where a guy is sleeping in his house and someone comes knocking on his door? I think it's in Luke 18. And it's a friend who wants bread in the middle of the night. I, I mean, imagine the scene 2,000 years ago, eh? It's not like they had three-bedroom houses. The cattle and the people lived in one house with kids and wives in the works, and you would have to wake the entire household up when you went to answer the door. And yet this man has no problems coming and knocking on the door in the middle of the night. It's the thing your kid does when you're engaged in some serious conversation, where he comes and starts tugging at your shirt. You can be the prime minister of Canada, and he would still do it, because he's shamelessly bold when it comes to you as his father. That kind of persistence only comes when you know the character of God. Try it in some areas that you know the character of God. It'll allow you to wrestle right through to the daylight. This is what the Syrophoenician woman did. Uh, um, I think it's in, I forget where it is. Um, the woman, uh, it's in Matthew 15. Matthew 15, verse 21 onwards, where the Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus and she's calling out saying, I got a daughter who's demonized. Would you please heal her? And she kept harassing Jesus, in a sense, till the disciples said, send her away. But Jesus had this dialogue with her where he keeps pushing her away, but she keeps pushing back. Persistent prayer is when you push back. And sometimes God enjoys that, eh? My dad used to do that. He would wrestle with me when I was a kid. And I'd push back at him, and he'd push back, till at some point he'd fall over because he knew I had expended all my energy. And as I kept growing up, the resistance got harder because he wanted to see how far I could push. It was a game he and I used to play, till he'd know that, man, I've exhausted all my strength, and then he'd fall back, and I'd do my, oops, sorry, I'd do my Tarzan thing. The point being, guys... The point being that God likes that. God likes us pushing in. He likes us pushing in. And that's persistent prayer. And it can only be done either when you have a sure word from God saying, I am going to do this for you, or when you know the character of God so well that you've got no doubts about it. I remember about 23 or 24 years ago, I shared this story here, I think six years ago. 23, and I'll keep it short. 23 or 24 years ago, when I was immigrating to Canada, I had to go across to Seattle for an interview. I remember going to the U.S. Embassy to get a visa to travel to Seattle because I held an Indian passport then. And the lady said, no. But I was so sure that God had said that he'd bring me to this land that I thought, okay, I'll go back a second time. So I went back a second time. The lady said, no. 
But I was so sure that God was going to bring me to this land, so I went back a third time. And the lady said no. And I didn't know that every time they say no at the U.S. Embassy, they stamp, um, a, 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 they put a stamp on the back of your passport saying denied. I had no idea that was happening. So I decided on the date I was supposed to go for my interview, I decided I'd go straight to the border. So I went to the border, and the guards looked at my uh, letter asking me to go for an interview to the Canadian Embassy in Seattle, and they said, listen, even if Bill Clinton said yes, if this lady says no, you're not going. And so that was the fourth attempt. And so I decided, okay, I'll go back to this lady again. So I went back a fourth time. I'm really sh uh, shortening the story. Um, and so I went back a fourth time, and this time she said, if you come back again, I'll have the guards throw you out. Because I've told you four times now that you will not be given a visa to enter the United States. And I remember going back home and talking to the Lord and saying, Father, what do I do? Lawyers tried to help me, and I didn't feel that was the way to go. Um, Christians told me to use my head and think of some other way of doing it. Uh, one guy who used to work for this lady said, your best bet is to sneak in through Mexico. And I didn't think that would work too well. And so um, I remember asking God, Father, what do you want me to do? And uh, the scripture from Isaiah 30 or Jeremiah 30, I'm not sure, jumped out at me that morning while I was reading uh, my daily reading, and it said, go back in the way in which you went. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a really bad idea, Father, because she's told me not to come back. But um, I was so sure God was saying, go back in the way in which you went. So the, I, and the next week, I go back, and she says, didn't I tell you not to come back? And I said, ma'am, uh, um, you told me not to come back. Lawyers told me it was a really bad idea. My friends told me, told me not to come back. But all I know is... Uh, when I was reading the Bible three days ago, I felt God saying, come back. I got nothing new to show you. And so she told me to go sit down. And then after she finished about 60 applicants, she calls me. And she begins to ask me questions, but none of them have to do with visa. She starts asking me what I believe in, what my beliefs are, what my faith is, and stuff like that. And I begin to tell her. And then this is the vice consul of the U.S. Embassy. Eh? She's across this glass partition, and she starts weeping. And she begins to tell me how difficult her job is. And then she says, I have no power to prevent you from entering my country. Your God has set me up, and I cannot prevent you from entering the country. And she grabs my passport, stamps the visa, and gives it back to me. And all I can do, standing on the other side of the glass, is just continue to tell her, ma'am, you have no idea how much Jesus loves you. Because she was weeping about her life. And then I was able to write to her and tell her about Jesus. And then she wanted to attend a Bible study in Richmond. Later on, she became the ambassador to Tel Aviv, Israel. The point being, guys, Psalm 40 kicks in. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and heard my cry. Now many will see and many will fear and put their trust in the Lord. Persistent prayer always works when you either have a sure word from God or you know a certain aspect of the character of God so well that you can keep pushing. And God enjoys it, eh? So if there are some dead promises in your life, time to revive them by pushing, them, pushing back. That's end. Let's do one more and then we'll stop perhaps for today. Um, I-N-T. T stands for tell me what to do, Father. Tell me what to do, Father, prayers. Tell me what to do, Father, prayers. And that's 
what we need more than anything else today. Because most of our prayers uh, require finding out God's desire, eh? Because most of the time, we are like people who don't know what might work, so we try every key, hoping one of those keys will work. And if it works, we say, praise God. If it doesn't work, we say, well, maybe that's not the will of God. And that sometimes seems like a cop-out. Because what if we actually went and tried figuring out what the Father wanted? So what if we started this week, or from here on, what if we started with the simple premise that before I launch into prayer, what if I started with the question, Father, what do you want to do? What do you think about this? And we might think, if I ask that, there's hardly any likelihood that God will answer. And my question is, why not? Because he is your father, right? I, I don't think any of us will hear an audible voice, but surely there are other ways he can convey an answer. Maybe it'll be through the word. Maybe I mean, today, um, I, 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 I was enjoying these songs that Grant picked because almost every song was um, answering a question of mine or lifting my heart up here or doing something else for me. There are umpteen ways God can speak through. So what if he started with a simple premise, Father, what do you want me to do? Guys, what it'll do is it'll launch us into adventures we've never had before. Christian life will finally become interesting. Because now we're asking him to tell us what he wants us to do. And he may only show us a step at a time, but suddenly life will take on an illogical but very adventurous uh, pathway. It It will challenge our logic. It will force us to walk on substance that we have no business walking on, as in water. But... At the end of the day, it'll still be what uh, the world needs to see about Christianity, which is that it is an adventure. I was in Indonesia about a month and a half ago, and there's this guy called James, that's his English name, he's a Buddhist, who wants to come and meet me, and he wants me to pray for his children. And so I'm asking God, Father, what do you want to do? And I feel the Lord saying, don't pray for his children. What do you mean, feel the Lord? I just sense, I don't know how to explain it, you just sense it. Like you sense things when you go driving or when you see the clouds or when you um, go down skiing. You just sense and you know which way to go. And so I sense God saying, don't pray for his, for his children. But when he comes and sits with you, um, ask him a simple question and ask him directly, why is it that you haven't become a Christian yet? What's stopping you from giving your life to Jesus? And I'm thinking to myself, Father, but he's a Buddhist. But I was quite sure that's where God wanted to go. So we, he comes to meet me. We're sitting in this hotel. And at some point, his kids want to go see the pool. So his wife and kids get up and go to the pool. And so I'm sitting there, and uh, uh, there's nobody else around. Eh? And I'm thinking, let's talk shop. But I know God is saying, uh, ask him this question and ask him directly. So finally, I blurted it out. So, James, tell me why you haven't become a Christian yet, and what is it that's stopping you from becoming a Christian? What is it that's stopping you from giving your life to Jesus? And he looks at me and he says, that's a very good question, and I have no good reason for not becoming a Christian. So, can you tell me how to become a Christian? And I'm thinking to myself, wow, it's that easy? And yet, in a matter of seconds, eh, this guy gave his life to the Lord. And then I was able to hook him up with a pastor who he now associates with, tell him what to read. And within four or five minutes, this Buddhist had given his life to Jesus. And I asked him to read the book that's written after his name, 
And he was thrilled that there was a James in the Bible. And so, guys, the point is, when we begin to follow his directives, things begin to happen really fast, eh? Nations open up. Uh, we've been, as a church, praying for Mongolia for ages. Now, it's like the furthest part of the earth, and it's not your favorite Hawaii kind of destination. So we've been praying for Mongolia for ages, and suddenly about um, a year and a half ago, felt God saying, now is the time, go. And so, but we don't know anybody there. And so while talking to Lawrence Stark from Pilgrim, he said he knew a lady who used to work there. So I called her up, met with her for 10 minutes, she gave me an email, and that's it. And so I land up in Mongolia, but don't know anybody there, but knew that God was saying, now is the time, go. And my question was, but Father, what do you do there? Just go. And so I'm sitting in this hotel, and there's this pastor who responds to this email that's sent to his friend. And he comes and sits with me and uh, takes me for a walk for three days. He doesn't let me come anywhere near his church. He doesn't ask me to preach, doesn't ask me to teach. And I'm thinking to myself, man, what a wasted trip. Because when you think with a pastor's mind, you think if you go somewhere, you've got to preach. And he doesn't allow me anything. He doesn't even let me get five meters near his pulpit. He invites me to church, but makes me sit far enough. I'm thinking to myself, what a wasted trip. And on the last day, it was Sunday, and we were all done, and he calls me home. And he calls me home, and he says, uh, I've been checking you out for the last three days. He says, because when, when I met you in the hotel, I asked you, why have you come to Mongolia? And uh, you said, uh, you don't know. And that you felt that um, God had asked the church to come to Mongolia. And he said, I wanted to check you out for the last three days to find out if that was true. Because he says, no one comes to Mongolia without an agenda. And he says, after three days, I realized that you really don't have a plan. (laughs) And then he says, a year and a half ago, someone had walked into his church and said that there will be someone coming from a nation on the same latitude as Mongolia. And if you actually go and look at a map, Canada is on the same latitude as Mongolia. And he says, when that person comes, make sure that you open your church to that person. And this is on the last day, a few hours before I leave for Vancouver. That was a year and a half ago. Since then, we've been going back to Mongolia so often, and that church has opened up. And from one end of Mongolia to the other, we're setting up Bible schools. How did it happen? The adventure of, Father, what do you want us to do? We'll stop here for now and continue with the rest next week. But as you, as a church, engage in this wonderful adventure called prayer, may you begin to at least uh, use these three. Insightful prayer, never give up persistent, shamelessly bold prayer because you know the character of your father. And thirdly, Father, what do, you want me, what do you want me to do? Tell me what you want me to do so that I may begin to step into it. Let's start with these three. And then perhaps next week we'll cover a few more and see where it goes. Bless you.